I invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to the Gospel according to Mark. Mark chapter 9. We'll begin at verse 2. Mark chapter 9, beginning at verse 2, where Mark writes, Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to him Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for the privilege now of studying it together. And God, as I stand before these, your people, this is your church. So I pray that this would be your message and not my own through the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. This is one of those lessons that the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all share with us. Jesus going up on a mountain with Peter, James, and John. Now Mark tells us that it's six days later. Now that's the key for us to pay attention, well, what happened then just a little bit earlier? Well, Jesus and his disciples had been in Caesarea, or Caesarea, depending on who pronounces it, Caesarea Philippi. It's a place there in Galilee, and it was there that Jesus began to talk to them about, who do you say that I am? Now, context is everything, so picture this. There in Caesarea Philippi, you have this amazing mountainside. But the interesting about the mountain was there was a cave there that was to a Greek god, there were niches in the side of the mountain that were to other gods. It was a place where sacrifices had been made to cult gods and other gods. It was an interesting place. There's beautiful water flowing there, but it was a belief in those days that water was the abode of the demonic. So was this coming from the abyss? Was this a, a gateway from the underworld to the world. There were some interesting thoughts there. A lot of things had occurred there in the past. And, and, and Jesus now knows he is getting ready to turn to Jerusalem. He knows that the cross is imminent. And he wonders, do they get it? Now, I think it's interesting to figure out the context of where Jesus was because imagine he's looking around and he's seeing where people had worshipped all these false gods, all these cults, where all these sacrifices had been made, where the belief in the demonic was so real. And Jesus then looks around and asks the question, when you're out among the people, 
who do they say that I am? Am I just another one of these? Who do people say? And remember they had answered some say you're Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But then Jesus paused and said, well, who do you say that I am? And again, I can imagine the disciples looking around and Peter then responds, I know who you are. You are the Messiah of God. Matthew puts it, you are the Christ, the son of the living God that Peter says. And then Jesus spends some time with his disciples, teaching them about his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. Jesus shares in Mark 8 that that he will go through great suffering, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes. He's going to be killed and after three days rise again. And this is more than Peter can take. Now we were told that when Peter said, you're the Christ, Jesus blessed him. And that's when his name changed from Simon to Peter, Petros, which means little rock. And Jesus had even said upon this Petra, this huge rock, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell will never prevail against it. So Peter now is confused. He had just professed, you are the Messiah of God. And now Jesus is going, but I am going to suffer and die. So what does Peter do? Peter pulls Jesus aside. If you read the scripture there in Mark 8 and, and rebukes him. I mean, the scripture actually said he began to rebuke Jesus. And Jesus in turn rebukes Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. You're setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And just earlier, I'm calling you rock. And now Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You can imagine the confusion. So now it's after that that Jesus now takes Peter, James, and John, and they go up onto a high mountain. We're not really sure which one. There's some theory. Was it Mount Hermon, which is not that far from Caesarea Philippi? It's a huge, amazing mountain. Difficult, though, to get to and to transcend. And others argue that it's Mount Tabor, which is their traditional site. And it was days later. Wherever it was, Mark didn't sense that it was significant to know which mountain, but just he goes up on a mountain. Oftentimes when you see Jesus go up on a mountain, Moses went up on a mountain, Elijah, it's places where we feel closer to God. And while he's there, his clothes are transfigured. Jesus is transfigured. His clothes begins to be dazzling white. And Mark says in verse 3, such as no one on earth could bleach them. Now the Greek actually implies so that no fuller could bleach them. And that's, that's one who professionally bleached wool and cloth and turned it white. Even a professional couldn't have got it that white. Dazzling white. Which reminds us of the scene of God on the throne. You may remember in Daniel chapter 7 verse 9 where the scripture says, As I watched, thrones were set in place, and an ancient one took his throne. His clothing was as white as snow. Well, just earlier, 
Peter had said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now they get a glimpse of Jesus' glory. They get a glimpse of everything that Jesus gave up. They get a glimpse of who Jesus really is as the Messiah, the Son of God, God Himself in the flesh. They get that glimpse and they're reminded of of what it is that God must have done to take on human form. I'm reminded of, of Paul's letter to the church at Philippi in Philippians 2, verse 5, when he says, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, I mean, we, we got a glimpse of that. Though he was in the form of God, we, we see that holiness and that, that awe about him there on the mountain of transfiguration. He did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The disciples are getting ready to experience the heinous evil of our world and how that's inflicted upon Jesus. Before they do, they get a glimpse of the holiness of God. And then this incredible thing happens. Moses and Elijah appear there with Jesus and they began talking to him. Now when you hear that, think about this too, that in Jesus' day, the scriptures were the law and the prophets. And you had the writings like Psalms and others. But the law and the prophets, that was the essence of the scripture. And now Moses, who represents the law, and Elijah, the prophet, are there talking to Jesus. Now Luke... If you flip over to Luke 9.31, he gives us an idea of what they talked about because Luke says, they appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, and the Greek word there is his exodus, thus Moses is there, which, was about, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. I mean, we're getting a glimpse of God's story of salvation. You have the law the prophets, now the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the gospel, the good news of God, all represented. It's one salvation story from Genesis to Revelation to today. It's all combined together, and we get that glimpse. It's no wonder then that Peter goes, hey, I've got an idea. Let's stay here. I'll build three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and who could blame him? Who could blame him? We're told he he didn't know what to say. He was terrified, overwhelmed in all of what was happening there. But then a cloud begins to cover the mountain. I, I can just imagine if Peter, James, and John had had on a Fitbit... What would their heart rate have been? I can just imagine there was a sense of awe and yet a sense of terror because it was true from Exodus 24 when Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it and Moses spoke with God. When he would come down, his face would be shining. Being on a mountaintop and a cloud now overcoming when Moses and Elijah are there, all you know, the disciples were thrilled and terrified all at the same time. 
And God speaks from the cloud. Scripture says in verse 7, Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my Son. This is the Beloved. Listen to Him. Now there's a parallel to this in, in Jesus' baptism. So if you flip back in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, verse 11, you will see that a voice came from heaven and said, You are my Son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. And here God was speaking to Jesus as he's beginning his ministry and carrying out the ministry for which he is called. But now in the transfiguration, God is speaking to the disciples because he says, this is my son, my beloved. You need to listen to him. You see, the transfiguration is God making sure as Jesus turns to the cross that we, the church, understand what's going on here. That the disciples get it. The law, the prophets, Jesus the Messiah, and a voice from God going, this is my son, this is the beloved. Of all the people, you need to listen to him. So what, what is the point of the scripture? Every year the church has and celebrates Transfiguration Sunday right before we begin the season of Lent and journey with Jesus. Why? What was that point? Well, Jesus had asked the question, who do they say? Then he asked the question, who do you say? And now we get to hear who does God say Jesus is? I mean, this is God himself declaring, this is my son. As you watch him go to Jerusalem, as you watch him get on the cross, as you watch him die on the cross, as you watch him rise from the dead, I really need you to know who this is. God goes, this is none other than my son, the beloved. That's who he is. Now, we may hear some bishops say we need to bring Jesus off the cracked pedestal that we've placed him on. But the good news is we didn't put Jesus there. God did. And God made sure on this day we knew it. This is my son. This is the beloved. He's not the Lord because some group took a vote. He's Lord because God said, this is my son. This is Savior and Lord. We believe who Jesus is because this is who God declared him to be. And God had the law and the prophets come and testified to it right in front of the disciples themselves. This is God's salvation story. It's important when we put a cross around our neck when we hang one from our car mirrors, when we show up in church and we have Jesus behind us in the stained glass or in front of us in the stained glass, that we know who He is. And God wanted us to hear today, this is who I say. Who do they say? Who do you say? But God then goes, this is who I say that He is. Well, then God also added the words, listen to him. Listen to him. 
You know, sometimes we tend to do the talking. We're told that Peter goes, hey, I've got an idea. We could build three tents and stay up here. And you can't blame Peter. I would have probably said something much crazier. But sometimes we need to pause from talking and do some listening. I love the old saying that God gave us two ears, one mouth. He was trying to make a point. When do we pause and we listen and... God didn't say simply talk about Him, which He will tell us to go make disciples and proclaim Jesus Christ. But to also listen to Him, to listen to the words of Jesus. I mean, Jesus was trying to share something vital. I'm, I'm about to go and, and I'm going to suffer and I'm going to be crucified and then I'm going to rise again. And Peter interrupts to rebuke Him and Jesus then goes, whoa, 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 and rebukes Peter and goes, stop, you need to listen. Get behind me, Satan. You're, you're focusing on human things, not divine things. Just listen. But Peter then gets the beautiful experience on the mountain when God declares, this is my son. And, and God says, now listen to him. Just listen to him. I, mean, I think the transfiguration is a call for all of us to worship and to, to get a glimpse of who this amazing God who dies on the cross is for us, or as Maltman refers to, the crucified God. This is God, and we got a glimpse of the glory of Jesus there on the mountainside. Now it's a call, a call for us to worship Him, a call for us to be His disciples, a call for us to be His followers, a call for us to listen. But I think another beautiful thing which many biblical scholars remind us of is this mountaintop experience points to a hilltop experience that we'll experience in Jerusalem. So take a moment and and try to overlay what we just experienced with the transfiguration with what we see and experience at the crucifixion. I mean, here at the transfiguration, Jesus is on a mountaintop. And at the crucifixion, he'll be on the hilltop on a mountain called Mount Zion as he's at Calvary or Golgotha. Here in the Transfiguration, we see Jesus dazzling white clothes. Jerusalem at the cross, at the crucifixion, we will see Jesus stripped of his clothes. There on a cross while there are people at his feet gambling for his clothes. At the transfiguration, we see Jesus in all of his glory. I mean, we get a glimpse, dazzling white. He was transfigured. No one could bleach to that point. It was clearly a God thing with Moses and Elijah. And on the cross, we see Jesus humiliated and in his shame. Isaiah 53, he was despised. And rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity, as one whom others hid their faces, he was despised. And we held him of no account. The transfiguration. Jesus is flanked by Moses and Elijah. 
the crucifixion. On that hilltop, he is flanked by two bandits. Signs of the brokenness of the world and signs of those who didn't understand what loving God and loving neighbor meant. The transfiguration, there's a brilliant bright cloud. The crucifixion, darkness covers the face of the earth because God cannot bear to watch what is going on and the darkness of evil seems like it has won. At the transfiguration, God says, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. At the cross, the crucifixion, it's a centurion. If you turn over to Mark 15, 39, it's a a Roman soldier standing at the feet of Jesus, one who helped put him on the cross, that now recognizes and says, truly, this man was God's son. I love the way N.T. Wright puts it, the great biblical scholar who said, the mountaintop explains the hilltop and vice versa. The mountaintop explains the hilltop. And vice versa. It's no wonder then that Jesus says after the transfiguration, as they're walking down, beginning to head toward the other disciples, beginning the journey to Jerusalem, he tells them, Don't say a word about what you've experienced until after the resurrection, till after I have been raised from the dead. This will make much more sense later. Jesus knew you fully don't get it now. You will when you experience not only the mountaintop, but the hilltop. The season of Lent, we will turn and walk with Jesus to the cross. God makes a desperate point to teach you and to teach me, to teach Peter, James, and John, and the world who this is that's going to the cross, not just a great rabbi, a great teacher, great prophet, really good guy, innocent man hanging on the cross. No, more than that, God really wants you to know the one going to the cross, the one who's about to be beaten, spat upon, the one who's about to die for you and for me for our sins and in our place, that's none other than God Himself. This is my Son, the Beloved, God says. You really ought to listen to Him. During these 40 days, not counting Sundays, the season of Lent, I invite you to begin a journey together with all of us and let's listen to him. For God said, it's my son. Amen.